Because the arts enrich, transform, unite, and strengthen us through shared understanding and expression. Because the arts are magical and powerful, they increase compassion and understanding to make change, stimulate imagination, and nourish happiness. Because, because art has, has the power to change the world. Today on Because Radio, Mentoring Artists for Women's Art is developing educational resources on the history of Indigenous women in Canada and showcasing the work of Indigenous women artists. We visit Osaradok, the Ukrainian Cultural and Educational Centre, on a road trip. This week's Winnipeg impact maker, Midtown Barbell, deadlifts for the Dream Factory. And we'll have a preview of the latest episode of Because and Effect featuring Ian McCausland. All this and more on Because Radio. Hello and welcome to Because Radio episode number nine. My name is Robert Zirk. And I'm Sunny Promolo. To start things off today on the show, our foundation feature is focused on arts, culture, and heritage, and we'll be learning more about Mentoring Artists for Women's Art, or MAWA. We're continuing our coverage of initiatives supported through the Winnipeg Foundation's Reconciliation Grants Program, and today we'll learn about the educational resources that MAWA is developing that tells the history of Indigenous women in Canada, told through contemporary Indigenous women's art, as well as an education guide highlighting the art of Indigenous women artists. This week's foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on arts, culture, and heritage. I'm Jeremy Morantz. I'm here with Shauna Dempsey, the co-executive director of Mentoring Artists for Women's Art, or MAWA, as we'll be referring to it as uh, for short. Uh, Shauna, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for coming to see us here at MAWA. So uh, let's start off by, uh, why don't you tell me what MAWA is and what your organization does? MAWA is a visual art education center located at 611 Main Street. Most of the programs that we offer are uh, low cost or free for people of all genders, but we have a couple of programs that are reserved for women and non-binary visual artists to recognize the historical inequalities and systemic inequalities against women and gender variant people. Do you want to dive into and talk about some of those programs and events that you mentioned? Oh, for sure. Uh, we have mentorships. We've got our core program. That's the foundation mentorship program that pairs senior artists with emerging artists over the period of a year. We've got focused mentorships that are similar, but they're only three months in length and they focus on a specific media. We've got uh, drop-in programs like the cross-cultural beating group, the first Friday lectures in theory, history, and criticism. Uh, Tough Love, which are critique nights with established critics. We bring in curators for studio visits. We offer a cross-cultural craft program that includes free Saturday workshops, as well as longer, more in-depth workshops in traditional craft practices. We have monthly figure drawing. We've got a critical reading group that meets at the Legion called Theory and Beer. We've got a lot going on, plus special programs. So coming up, we've got uh, two drawing workshops at the Anatomy Lab at University of Manitoba. 
of course, Mawa exists, uh, I guess, as an answer to the problems uh, of gender inequality in the arts industry. And of, of course, it sounds like there's no no shortage of events and programs going on here. But can you talk a little bit about those problems that have existed, um, like even you know before you guys started twenty five years ago, and and what inspired you to to begin? Sure. Well, Mawa was founded in nineteen eighty four. And at that time, uh, women were getting proportionately fewer grants, arts grants, and proportionately fewer exhibitions. And our founding foremothers thought, what can we do to change this? And they thought mentorship was the best thing that could be done so that each woman artist is not reinventing the wheel. Senior women artists could share what they'd learned in their networks and their know-how with emerging women artists. And the program they established in 1984 continues to this day. Now, over that period of time, thankfully, some things have changed. Uh, There is greater equality in the visual arts. So now, proportionately, women get about half of all arts grants, which is awesome. And in artist-run centers, like galleries like ASART or Platform Gallery, smaller galleries across the country, women get about half the exhibitions. All good. But what's interesting is the larger the museum or gallery, the fewer women are exhibited. And when it comes to large museum collections, like the National Gallery, the WAG, all of the big American and European collections, proportionately, there's very few women in the collection. And you could say, well, that's because of the history of patriarchy. But even when you look at contemporary art, even when you look at works that are being collected now, women are being collected at a lesser rate, and the price being paid for women's artist work is lower. So it sounds like things have come a long way, um, you know, since since you guys were founded. But there's no denying, unfortunately, that discrimination based on gender um, still exists even you, you mentioned it's it's not perfect today. Uh, my question is, you know, how do, how does Mawa work to create a safe space for people who feel discriminated based on gender? Well, Mawa has a very intersectional approach to feminism. Until we're all free, none of us are free. So uh, women, as well as people of color, people living with disabilities, language minorities, etc are all welcome at MAWA, and we do a lot of work to ensure that, as I said earlier, people of all genders feel they can participate in our program and and they're at home here. Uh, Some of the ways we do that is we hire leaders for our programs of uh, a wide diversity, uh, a diversity that actually represents the reality of our city. And for too long, the art world or, or systems of power in general have been dominated by white men. So that's who we don't hire at Mawa in order to create a more welcoming environment for everybody else, which in fact is the majority. Uh, we offer childminding for free to some of our programs. We often have food, which is a great way to make people feel welcome. Uh, our board is also very diverse. We've got a 15-member board, and they also reflect our community. So the leadership from the top down is invested in, as I say, the realities of Winnipeg, which is uh, 
so exciting and and so full of creative energy that has its origins in many different points of view. And it it's that diversity in those multiple f- points of view that create exciting dialogue and exciting art. That's so important, creating an environment that does reflect the true uh, diversity of the city we live in. And I feel like that's a good uh, j- jumping off point to talk about the reconciliation project that you're working on here at Mawa. Why don't you tell us about that? Thanks to the Winnipeg Foundation, we are doing a two-part reconciliation project. One is we're commissioning curator Leanne Martin to write a textbook about the history of Indigenous women in Canada as told through the lens of contemporary Indigenous women's artwork. So she's going to be looking at uh, the history of legal inequality in Canada. She's going to be looking at missing and murdered Indigenous women. She's going to be looking at Indigenous sovereignty rights. She's going to be looking at uh, environmental concerns that are so pressing right now and using artwork as a tool to discuss those issues. So I've just been talking to her. She's got the book all sketched out. She's got her outline and she's writing the introduction. She's going for it. The second project that Mao is doing is an art education tool. And it comes out of a project Mawa did with Leanne Martin, in which she curated an exhibition of 50 Indigenous women artists that Mawa exhibited on billboards from coast to coast in the summer of 2018. What we're doing now is we're taking those same 50 images, we're printing them on 8.5 by 11 cardstock, we're creating an education guide written by Indigenous art educators, And we're sending these packages for free to every public school in Winnipeg, every band school in Manitoba, and every rural school board in Manitoba to be used in classrooms from kindergarten to grade 12. So that kids have in their schools images that are created from this land, images that are created by Indigenous artists who are at the top of their game, who are internationally respected, and who should be celebrated here at home, so that kids today can learn the names of artists beyond the Ninja Turtles. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, an incredible project. I'm so glad that uh, you here at Mawa are are taking that on. I think that's that's very important. Um, Lastly, if uh, listeners out there want to get involved, want to learn more, Where would you direct them? What would you tell them to do? Come on by to 611 Main Street or check out our website at mawa.ca. As I said, so much of our programming is free. It's open to everyone. You don't necessarily need to be a visual artist. You can be an art appreciator. You can be somebody who just wants to learn. We're here to help you engage with the visual arts. Shauna, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Coming up next on Because Radio, we'll be taking a short five-minute drive northwest from St. Boniface to visit and learn more about Osaradok, the Ukrainian Cultural and Educational Center, on this week's road trip. Welcome to the Because Radio Road Trip. Today we visited Osaradok, the Ukrainian Cultural and Educational Center. Let's go.
I'm Jeremy Morantz. I'm here at Osoredok, Ukrainian Cultural and Educational Center. I'm here with Yulia Zmerzala, the operations manager here. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Yulia. Thank you for coming, Jeremy. To start off in your words, can you tell me what Osoredok is? Well, Osoredok, a Ukrainian Cultural and Educational Center, is a, a non-profit organization. We are a Ukrainian-Canadian heritage institution. We were established in 1944. And uh, since then, we are one of the largest Ukrainian uh, Canadian heritage institutions in North America. A lot of what you do here, of course, is preserving the Ukrainian culture. Can, can you tell me why that's important? Ukrainians who uh, started arriving to Canada more than 100 years ago, they brought with them uh, lots of uh, um, important things, their culture, which they felt they need to preserve. That's why Osiradok was created to actually preserve uh, Ukrainian uh, culture in Canada. And uh, as you know, uh, Winnipeg has uh, one of the largest Ukrainian communities actually in, in Canada. And um, um, what is um, our job as a, uh, as a uh, Ukrainian heritage institution to preserve the culture? And Osiradok has um, um, art gallery, library, and uh, museum. We uh, continue to hold workshops such as Pesanka workshops. We offer Ukrainian language classes to members and non-members. We also, um, it also holds lectures on many different aspects of Ukrainian culture and continues to educate the community at large. When uh, we talk about our museum collection, I need to mention that it includes uh, artifacts um, that tell the story of, U of Ukrainian history and those objects include Ukrainian clothing, textiles, uh, folk art, and uh, regional costumes of Ukraine. We also hold a large pisanka collection. Pisanka is an Easter egg uh, that um, uh, is a really nice tradition when um, uh, Ukrainians um, uh, do decorate eggs during Easter time, and we have a collection of more than 6,000 pesenka. Osteradok's art collection uh, consists of over 900 works of art by Ukrainian, Ukrainian-Canadian, and Ukrainian-American artists. We are also famous um, of our um, archival collection, which is one of the richest sources of Ukrainian uh, archival material in North America. Uh, it contains over 500 meters of textual material related to history of Ukrainians in Canada and the uh, diaspora. Also library. Library collection contains um, uh, an extensive uh, array of books, periodicals, publications, and newspapers specializing in the field of Ukrainian studies. The, our library holds approximately uh, 33,000 uh, volumes of books on topics related to history, art, uh, music, literature, folklore, and religion. So are there any particular items here that you're, you're proud of? Yes, we have a, um, among some rare books which uh, always uh, um, surprise our visitors when they are shown. I should mention... Um, uh, gospel, uh, which was published by the Kivo-Pichersk Monastery in 1658. Another one is uh, Irmaloy, is a church songbook, 
from 1733. One more uh, is um, second edition of Ivan Kotlerevsky and Aida. Uh, from 1808. So 2019, it is, uh, I understand, your 75th anniversary, and I also understand that there are some big plans in the works. Do you want to tell us about that? Yes, that's right. In uh, 2019, Osiradok is celebrating a 75th diamond anniversary of our service to the community, collecting and exhibiting cultural objects. Uh, this is a significant milestone for any organization, and it wouldn't have been possible without the continued support of our founder, of, of the funders of uh, Osiradok, and uh, also our members of Ukrainian community and uh, general community at large. In November, uh, we are planning to organize a gala evening for all uh, our members and supporters, uh, which will be called 521. Um, this will be like a night in the museum. It will be a fancy event which will um, feature all our best um, um, items from our collections. This night we are planning to reopen our museum on the fifth floor with some unique and really interesting exhibition. And uh, on the second floor, uh, this will be another um, exhibition uh, with uh, Ukrainian-Canadian artists. And on the first floor, uh, you will see um, how Sredok developed from uh, the past since we've been established and what our plans for the future. So that's why it's called 521. Uh, we invite everyone to join us uh, for celebration. And uh, uh, before November, I would like to invite everyone to visit our uh, current exhibition in the gallery, which is called Still Standing, um, uh, featuring our un unique collection uh, by Ivan Boberski, um, with uh, our rich collection of uh, glass slides from Ukraine from 1918-1921. Uh, Finally, for those out there who would like to learn more, about Osredok, tell them what to do. Yes, I uh, encourage everyone, please visit our website for the latest news and for our plans. It's uh, www.osredok.ca, uh, our Facebook page, uh, and Osredok, and Instagram, Osredok Museum. For Because Radio, I'm Jeremy Morantz. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Because Radio Road Trip. We'll see you next week, same time, different place. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next is our segment highlighting impact makers in our community. And this week, Sunny is visiting Midtown Barbell to learn about their Deadlifts for Dreams fundraiser in support of the Dream Factory. Welcome back to Because Radio. I'm Sonny Pomolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Dave Beakley, owner of Midtown Barbell Strength and Conditioning, located on Wardlaw Avenue, also home for Deadless for Dreams. Thanks for coming on Because Radio. Oh, thank you for having me. Can you give us a brief rundown of what Midtown Barbell is and the services you offer? Uh, we're a semi-private training facility. Uh, our goal is to lead... 
uh, group classes and private training uh, for people looking to, to get more out of their time in the gym. Um, the, the programs that we run are, are personalized and semi-personalized and then just providing a good, good atmosphere and good community for, for people looking for a place that they're comfortable training in. So tell me a bit about yourself. Uh, I met my, my business partner, Chris, while training for football. And my, my goal had, at that time, even heading into university, was to own my own gym. And working with, with Chris, you just you find a partner that you, you work really well and you, you, same, you share the, the same training philosophies. And uh, it just kind of grew together that I didn't have to do it on my own and, and had a, a great mentor and partner. So why did you want to start a gym in the first place? Uh, I had a coach take me under his wing when I was in grade 11, and uh, he kind of gave me a, an awakening that, that being good at football wasn't enough to go somewhere with football and you had to do the extra things. And uh, he met me at the YMCA four days a week at six in the morning uh, for, for free on his own time. And uh, just seeing the sacrifice that, that he made for me and, and what it did for me and, and starting to to pay that forward to other people made me realize that I, I had a true passion for it and it, it wasn't just going to be a job for me. Speaking of pay it forward, uh, you've done quite a bit to support northern communities like Nelson House. Uh, can you recall the moment where you decided to help and what did you do to support? I had a couple trips up there where I didn't really know what I was getting myself into and making some friends and, and seeing the, the lifestyles and, and the hardships. But beyond that, uh, the, the kind and loving people that you meet up there. Um, I've got a pretty good life. I've got a lot of advantages living in the city. And I want to take whatever I can to, to help other people who, who may need it. Um, I'm fortunate that my fitness background can, can benefit other people's lives. And, and if I can use that to make someone healthier and happier, then, then I'm going to full throttle and, and use it. So how is it working with the youth? What is, it, what is something you learn from them? That's a good question. Um, I think I learned something every time. It, it improves my communication skills. There's a lot of different personalities out there, and you, you meet these, these different kids, adults as well, and uh, everyone is an individual case, and you have to handle them differently. And uh, some are very, very happy people and outgoing. Other, you gotta, you got to find that, that right chord to strike to, to bring out their, their best side and, and let them open up to you and... Dealing with that, I, it's a bit more delicate with, with young people and, and trying to get good at that and, and better at that is, is something that I work on all the time. It seems like you're doing a great job so far, uh, but your support for the community doesn't stop there. Uh, you recently held an event called Deadless for Dreams in support of Maya, a young child who was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Uh, how did you get to learn about Maya and what made you want to create Deadless for Dreams? There's a a fundraiser in the U.S. called Relentless, and it's a full powerlifting meet. It started in Minnesota. It's expanded to Detroit and Texas now, and uh, I was fortunate enough to, to be at a couple of them, and you just see the change that it, it brings out in the people competing, these, these big powerlifters that, um, you know, a lot of us have our own things that we're dealing with, and, and you just see them soft and, and open up and then you see the joy that it brings to the kids uh, for years it's kind of been on my mind how I can do my own version of that in Canada and I was lucky enough to to hook up with the Dream Factory and I, I told them my idea and uh, Howard and Andrew kind of 
took it and, and helped me make it a reality. And they, they handpicked Maya and uh, she was perfect for, for what we did. So Deadlist for Dreams was held on March 30th. Uh, what was the goal for the event and did you reach it? Uh, we set a goal for $10,000 and that's kind of your, your typical cost for a dream. Uh, people have different things that they want to do and, and whatnot, but kind of on average, uh, $10,000. And we hit that in the first month. And by, by the time the competition came and went, uh, we reached $25,000. Wow. So how many lifters did you have at the event? And did you expect that kind of support? Uh, the, the support was overwhelming. Um, I knew we'd hit our goal, even though before I put it together, I was, I was pretty nervous. But you, you saw the support, and, and we have a great community here at, at Midtown, and, and we reach out with uh, a lot of different people and organizations. Um, so when things started rolling, I was like, oh, yeah, like this goal is completely attainable. Uh, the support from the lifters was really good. We had about 25. There was a minimum fundraising goal of 200 for each lifter. So if we had all our lifters hit their goals and we got our six sponsors that we had targeted, uh, we were good for 10. So I figured that was very easy to, to attain. And the lifters just went out of their way. Like 200 wasn't enough. And they kept pushing and, and pushing. And uh, uh, two of them, uh, Curtis and Candice, uh, Curtis was just over 3,000. Candice was very close to 3,000. And they they blew it out of the water. Um, so it was, it was fantastic support. Can you describe the moment when you told Maya or they told Maya and her family about the results? Uh, they were here. Uh, Maya and her family made it down for the event, which was really special. And when, when we announced that not only did we have enough to do their dream, uh, we, we had enough to fulfill another kid's dream, which we'll announce in the fall. Um, just they're so, the whole family is so kind and so appreciative. It's just, it's very heartwarming to see and a uh, bit of a tearjerker, but it was awesome. So what's next for Dave and Midtown Barbell? Um, I mean, Mid Midtown Barbell, we're, we're just, we're continuing to try to grow and, and kind of set our presence in, in the area and, and do good work. Uh, for myself, I've, I've got, you know, my, my focus and my heart is poured into this business. Uh, I also spend, when I'm not here, uh, time. I've got three foster boys, and, uh, you know, a lot of time and energy goes into them, and that's a bit of a juggling act. And uh, I'm working with uh, Playing for a Purpose on kind of a spinoff of Deadlifts for Dreams, and it'll be a few weeks before we start planning for next year's Deadlifts for Dreams. Awesome. So for those interested in learning more about Midtown Barbell, uh, where can they go and how can they find you? Uh, right now, our Instagram would be the, the best means of communication, and I think everyone uses that now. And, you know, you get pictures of the gym and, and the community here. So that would be Midtown Barbell 204 at Instagram. And, uh, you know, you can reach me through there or, or anyone within the business there uh, or my personal Instagram. I think it's at It's Just David B. I change it so often. I'm, I, I should probably stop doing that. But. Yeah, those would be the best ways. Or you can just come on down and, and poke your head in and see the place. Most people are pretty happy with the gym when they when they get here. Uh, it's clean, it's organized, it's brand new equipment and everything you kind of ask for in a gym. So where's your gym located? Uh, we're at the corner of Scott and Wardlaw. The address is 349 Wardlaw Avenue, just between Donald and Osborne in the village. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? 
The continued support of Deadlifts for Dreams is really what I, my goal for it. Uh, I want to, I want to help the Dream Factory as much as possible and you know, each year, uh, my goal next year is to, to do two more dreams, uh, if not more than that. Uh, I want to reach out uh, outside of Winnipeg and, and do some more. And, and the more interest that the story kind of garnishes and, and people supporting it is, is going to make that dream a reality. Thanks to Dave for sharing his story of impact. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, message us on social media by searching the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sunny Promolo, and you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks, Sonny. Coming up next, Nolan Bicknell will join us to share a preview of the latest episode of Because and Effect with Ian McCausland of Ian McCausland Photography. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined by the host of Because and Effect, Nolan Bicknell. Nolan, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Rob. Good to be back on the show. So uh, you're now on episode number nine of Because and Effect, so nine conversations, and this week's episode features Ian McCausland, photographer, uh, well-known throughout the city. He's had decades of experience uh, in photography and has branched out doing a, a bunch of other interesting things. What are some of the things that you talked about uh, during your conversation with Ian? Yeah, this is the ninth episode, so ninth week of uh, Because and Effect. Ian McCausland, as you said, was the guest. Uh, we talked about lots of stuff. He's a pretty prolific um, photographer, obviously. He um, works a lot on different social good you know, events and things like that. So we talked about photography, art in general, um, sort of storytelling through that art making connections here in Winnipeg because he's been running his business for I think over three decades as a photographer as a freelancer uh, here in Winnipeg and uh, yeah we just kind of talked about all sorts of things it, it was a really good conversation he's a really wise and smart individual so it was good to pick his brain about art about photography and about uh, you know having a career in Winnipeg for as long as he has so in having a career that spans over three decades he's no doubt photographed so many different Winnipeggers, so many different events here in the community. Um, and I'm sure seeing the city through that lens, through a, through the lens of a photographer and getting to capture no all those. Exactly. Getting to, getting to see all of those moments uh, and times in people's lives, um, you know, really creates a, a particular snapshot, so to speak, of the city in general. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the things that he had to say about about Winnipeg in this city. Yeah, I kind of asked him how Winnipeg has changed since he started his business back in, I think, late 80s at some point. Uh, he had some pretty interesting stuff to say about sort of back then people would be leaving Winnipeg to go west or move east for school or for work or whatever or what what have you. But now nowadays um, that's recently changed and people are kind of flocking back to the city. You know, I started my business in 1988, so it was just in time for that recession of the early 90s. And, you know, back then, um, anybody who was under 30 was getting out of town. Like, you know, you graduated and you left, right? First it was Vancouver because Vancouver was booming ahead of uh, 97. 
and then it kind of morphed into Calgary, but it was like, go, go West, go west get, yeah. yeah, get out of here. And that was the prevailing attitude for anyone under 30. Um, of course, you know, we don't see that now. Mm-hmm. And some of those people that I know, my sister included, you know, they moved out West and they've moved back, you know? So as much as you can point to all the different concerns and problems the city has, you you think about where we've come from in the last 30 years, we've made some great progress. That's interesting. So evidently he thinks pretty highly of Winnipeg when it comes to uh, when it comes to the city and the community around it. Well, for sure. I mean, you wouldn't stay here for three decades if you didn't. But he did have some interesting um, think some interesting things to say about how hard it might be for like newcomers to break into our city because of the already sort of solid social circles. On the flip side of it, you know, I've talked to other people who've moved here from other other places. And because that sense of community is so tight, it's kind of hard to break through sometimes. Mm. So because, you know, your circle of friends includes, you know, the three guys you started kindergarten with, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, hi, I just moved from Seattle. And we're like, dude, I don't even know you, right? So <laughs> I, I've seen the, the flip side of it, you know, people coming into this community, it's hard to... But once you break through and make those connections... Even if you move away, those connections last for a lifetime. And that makes sense. And I can I can see both sides of that, where Winnipeg, you know, is a very tight-knit community. You know, the degrees of separation between people are, are typically pretty few. It's almost like a, a really, really big, small town. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, that can be difficult for people who are new to the city. And it can be kind of hard to, to break through and, and become a part of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what he said. So another topic for discussion was the arts as well. And I'm wondering what Ian's perspective was on that and how it pertains to our city. Well, obviously he cares about the arts and the arts community, but he's also aware like what happens when the arts funding gets cut because that's usually the first thing on the chopping block. When there's time to make cuts, when the the bean counters want to start talking about saving money, that, you know, some of the arts programs are the first things that are that are targeted. And um, I don't think everyone understands or values how much the arts community, you know, contributes to the to the social fabric of our community. You can tell that Ian's really passionate about our community. And uh, a few years back, he ran for office wanting to uh, wanting to support the community in that way as well. I'm wondering what his opinion was regarding some of the social services in our city and and how we can improve our communities that way. Yeah, Ian's extremely socially conscious and uh, was a great person to ask sort of what advice he might have for people who want to make the world a better place but just don't really know how. He had some great insights. Articulate the desire to, to help. Articulate the desire that that you want to change and chances are somebody's going to hear you and say I've got just the thing Um, but make sure you pick something that you can feel passionate about like don't don't do something that you're not you're not passionate about Um, because that passion is going to fuel you because it's going to be it's going to feel like work at times but at um, so you want to be you want to feel motivated 
Were there any other stories or memorable moments from your conversation with Ian that you wanted to share before you go? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, there was one really good story, pretty cool sort of punk rock story. I asked him what the first time he remembered caring about a cause was, and he told me a story about when he was a young kid, maybe seven or eight years old, at some sort of county fair. And he had a button on his jacket or on his shirt or something that had the three letters, E-R-A, which at the time I hadn't heard of that acronym before, but it was basically a first wave feminism support button and uh, he talked about the reactions he got while walking through that county fair it was a real big moment for me to realize that you know just by wearing a, a button with three letters on it I could I could make all these adults react that was a very powerful moment for me so the ideas can make make things happen I had to be honest with you I wasn't really aware of, of the context of the context of it but that 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 experience stayed with me and i realized that you know ideas have power ideas have power that's that's such a remarkable quote yeah absolutely and that's kind of what the podcast i'm hoping is all about it's it's about sharing ideas using their power and harnessing their power to inspire people and just kind of make winnipeg and make the world a better place well i can say throughout those 9 episodes that that is uh those episodes are evidence that it definitely definitely is and uh you know people should definitely check out because and affect lots of great conversations with winnipeggers from all walks of life um you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts or you can visit the website at becauseandeffect.org that's because a n d effect.org and subscribe to get a new episode every single week Nolan Bicknell is the host of Because and Effect. Nolan, thank you again so much for being here today. My pleasure, Rob. See you next week. That's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today. Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micaehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org. Again, that's becauseradio.org. 
If you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Or you can email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for Because Radio. And I'm Sunny Promolo. Thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend.